Hey everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. How do people songwrite? Do they start with a melody or some chords or do they actually hear the whole thing in their heads? Do people use music theory to decide what chords to use or is it more of an intuitive approach? Today I'm going to talk with Jean Cochran of Hard Femme and we're going to talk about all of these questions and much more today on Music Therapy. everybody. Welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker, and I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois. I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a show where I dive deep into the psyche of musicians. We talk about music, the creative process, music careers, mental health, the music business, touring, recording, balancing life and music, and anything else me and my guests want to talk about. If you want to learn more about music therapy and see upcoming guests and events, please visit musictherapypodcast.com. You can also visit jessicarisker.com to learn more about me and my own music. And if you're a fan of the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review helps us reach more listeners. Today, I'm talking songwriting with Chicago artist Jean Cochran of Hard Femme. Here's a little bit of information about Jean. Jean Cochran was born and raised in Chicago and has been involved in DIY on and off since 2013. They write and record soft queer pop under the name Hard Femme. Started as a solo project in 2014, Hard Femme has recently blossomed into a five-piece band to support the latest album, A Layer of Topsoil. And we're going to hear some music from both myself and Jean coming up as we talk about some of the choices we made and some songwriting we did. So let's turn now to my conversation with Jean. How are you? Good. Can you see me okay? Yeah, but I have this. Can you see this fundraiser? It's blocking your mouth. <laughs> I can see the fundraiser. Do you think I did that or did you do that? I mean, it sounds great. I, it sounds great. And I think that that will go away in the original video. I didn't know it was going to block your mouth, but I don't want to not have the fundraiser on there. I used to work at Heartland Alliance. Oh, so cool. Yes, yeah, great. Uh, putting that up there. Anyway, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of the show. Um, I feel like I was just reflecting that I feel like seven years ago, all of my friends were artists and now all of my friends are therapists. And I feel like you really like straddle both of those worlds and kind of synthesize them in a way that, that does something for me. So I'm a huge fan and I'm really excited to be here. So are those the same friends? Did they turn into therapists or is that different friends that now you have? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I feel like maybe different friends. I think I have heard that many people kind of cycle through friend groups over a period of about five to seven years. I definitely feel like that has happened for me. Um, but I do also think that there's an effect of kind of entering your late 20s and in some ways like becoming more attached to the labor force or like academic institutions or a career path. And I think probably a lot of the people who were artists still are, but have sort of decided on therapy as a way that you can kind of contribute meaningfully to the world and also get paid to do it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I feel that totally. And it's funny, when I started this podcast, I had quite a few people reach out who are musicians and say, this is something I'm doing or thinking about doing. What does this path look like for you? And it, it was great. I feel like it was a struggle for me when I wanted to be a musician and was thinking about grad school and didn't really have anybody to talk to about how do you bridge those worlds. So it's nice that, you know, people are finding that. And I think it can be. It, it felt to me like it was either one or the other. But I feel like now I feel like it's not. So yeah, anyway. it has to be. Yeah. So, so what's up before we, you know, we're going to talk songwriting, which I'm really excited about. Uh, but first, before we do that, what's what's up with you? What does your life look like these days? What is up with me? I feel like I'm at this point where like lots of plans are coming together. I'm executing on a lot of plans and it feels really good, but also, also extremely hectic um, just with like the world opening back up in, mm -hmm. in some ways and being able to see my friends again in a way that feels comfortable. Um, so I think it's something that a lot of people are experiencing, but it's kind of this like joy combined with this overwhelmed feeling of like doing a million things at once. Totally. Yeah. I was, um, absolutely. So what, what are some of the things that are coming together for you? Well, so the album is coming out, which is uh -huh. exciting. Um, was uh, the album out or? 
The album's out, I guess. Yeah. We're working you're on- having a release show. You're going to have a release, a release show. show. Yeah. yeah. I haven't put out new music in like six years. Uh, and I forgot that it's like a, it's an ongoing process every time it happens. Like there's always something new to do. So the album is officially out on Bandcamp, but we're working on tapes right now. And like my partner is designing the J cards for that. We're working on a release show, which is going to be at the end of the month um, in Chicago. Uh, so there's just kind of like a lot, a lot of, it's done, but it's not done. It's like always a new thing that can happen with it. Do you like that? I do. I think I do like that. Um, I think for me, like I'm a very project oriented person. Uh-huh. Um, I think like projects are how I kind of relate to other people in the world. So it feels good to kind of always be executing on something. And it feels like a structure that is in place to help you relate to other people. But then also at the same time, it's like, I do a lot of projects for work during the day. And then I start thinking about like, um, I'm just always executing projects and it doesn't, uh, there's something weird about being productive like that all the time. So I think maybe I should slow down. I was just talking to my friend, uh, Misha, the other day, who they were like, I'm not doing any hobbies this summer. Like this summer yeah. is just for hanging out with people. Yeah. Uh, and I really great. respected that. I think there's some wisdom in there. That's great. I mean, it definitely feels like you see people kind of hitting the ground running, tours booked and all that stuff. And it can be like, oh, that's so great. But also, should I be doing that? I don't know. It feels <laughs> nice to, yeah, I, I, think that, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it's like, the, it's like the return of FOMO, you know? I had like a year of not being afraid of missing anything. And now I'm afraid of missing things all the time. So were you able to work this past year? I was, yeah. I feel super fortunate for that. I like work from home. Um, have had a really stable last year in a lot of ways, um, but was super destabilized, I think, by just, I had, was very strict about not seeing friends inside. So I think I had a really hard winter emotionally, as a lot of people did. Do you live with anybody? I do, yeah. I live with my partner. Um, and I think that also makes a huge difference. Like, that's another thing I was thinking about a lot is that I feel like in some ways I had the most privileged like quarantine experience, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, like I live with my partner, I don't have any kids, I work from home, I was like financially mm-hmm. stable. There's really like not, it couldn't have gotten any better for 2020 in the United States. Um, but at the same time, like it was just so emotionally difficult for me yeah. this year. So it's kind of a humbling experience to be like, I had it the best that anyone could have had it and I still struggled so much and I think it really, kind of puts in perspective the kinds of struggles that other people have. I mean, that's something that I was, I was thinking about and kind of writing a blog post, preparing a blog post about today was how contradictory the feelings were. It's, you know, excitement about opening back up, but a lot of people are so stressed about, I really have to like get in my commute again and return to work and lose this time. Or I sort of liked being home all the time, but I feel guilty for feeling that way. You know, it's like all these different opposing emotions or just a, a, a mix of emotions about the whole experience. And yeah. like you're saying, like you can be grateful that you had these things in place, but also that it was still really hard. Yeah, absolutely. What do you, do you mind sharing what you do for work? Yeah, so I'm a software engineer. Uh I work for an app that helps migrants um, send money to friends and family internationally. Uh So extremely different from music. There's like no artistic component to it. Uh, But I actually love that aspect of it. I feel like Uh I completely separate from my job when I leave. I have a very flexible job. So Uh it helps me a lot. It affords me like a lot of liberty to kind of do the things that interest me outside of, of work hours. Um, so it's a very good gig and I feel very fortunate to have it. Do you feel for yourself, do you feel as though doing something that's using a totally different part of your brain, is that nice to sort of bounce between the two, like a very creative thing and a more analytic kind of work? Does that, do you like that or would you rather just be all one? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually think that they kind of activate similar parts of your brain in an interesting way way. Um, I feel like a lot of the software people I know are also musicians. Um, There's, at least I, I mean, and I'm really curious to hear how you think about this. I approach songwriting from a very analytical perspective to start with. It kind of feels like puzzle solving in a way where you have bits and pieces of things. You sometimes have like a larger picture of where you want it to go. And then it's a challenge of 
fitting everything together in a way that makes sense and that feels really good. Um, so I think that aspect of the work between music and software is actually very similar, okay. uh, but very, very different social situations, which I think is really important uh, to like get different perspectives, particularly coming from like a computer place, a tech what, environment. Can you, what are you talking about there? Can you be more specific? Yeah, I mean, tech is just like an extremely homogenous social world. Um, yeah. It's like there's a very specific way of thinking about the world, who we are, and like how we inhabit it. Um, that's very different, I think, from, from music. And I think on the other end, like music has its own, and particularly artistic scenes have their own ideologies about how the world should work and how people should, should interact with it. So I think it's, it's healthy for me to kind of straddle those two worlds. You talked about doing a lot of projects at work. Does that require a certain amount of, I would imagine, organizational kind of managerial skills? Do you, is that true? And if so, do you apply those when you're doing your music projects? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was just thinking about this. I think that generalized project management skills are really good for sustaining uh, like an active music life. Because um, so much of what we're doing to try to set this release show up is like managerial, like we're trying to get a permit from the park district. We actually just got a permit from the uh -huh. park district. That was like a two month bureaucratic process where we had to deliver all kinds of documents and we had to like get insurance for uh -huh. the show. Um, releasing a record, I imagine is pretty similar for a lot of people. I actually have never like released a record on a record label, um, which I feel like probably is an even larger uh, managerial endeavor. Um, but yeah, I, I think, think it is really, really planned. Highly yeah, planned. I mean, yeah. you've released a bunch of records on record labels. Like, what is the managerial experience like there? I've I've done um, a couple of smaller labels and one larger for me label, and it was definitely very um, thought through and planned. And it was months in advance that you know from when the album was, you know, the recording was complete from mastering to artwork to production to publicity to release shows and all that. It was uh, timed out. And then that wasn't something that I did. That was something the label, you know, they're the experts at doing that. But it was very, um, it was interesting to see that and think about how much, I mean, you kind of know that thought goes behind it, but you didn't you know, appreciate it maybe until... I saw it. So yeah, I think I think that there is a lot of planning, and uh, it probably is a helpful skill to have if you're in the arts in trying to do a career with it or make things happen. Yeah, but that's that's a whole different skill set than sometimes writing a song is. Oh yeah, totally. It's hard I mean, to do, you know, everything. I think a lot of people think of songwriting as a very like expressive. Uh, act, which it is in a lot of ways, uh -huh. but then I think there are also managerial aspects to it, and particularly like any type of presentation of music. Like I think back to Shelby Turner, I think was a very influential person for me. Uh -huh. um, Shelby has like organized shows in Chicago for over a decade at this point, um, and like seeing the degree of uh, like project management, for lack of a better word, that it takes to throw a show, even just in your house, like you yeah. have to book people you have to organize equipment, you have to promote it, you have to like host it, you have to make sure that everyone is safe at the show. There's just like so much that goes into it totally. to produce that 30 minutes of kind of the expressive act. Absolutely. Well, let's go back to, I mean, uh, songwriting. We want to talk about songwriting. So I'm curious to go back to what you were saying before about how you approach a song and, and you were saying it's like a puzzle and sometimes you'll have a, where you're going and how do I get there and I wonder if you could kind of in, in some way give an example of how you sort through that and how that looks for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, so I'm interested in talking about the life cycle of a song for sure and, and maybe I'll share a little bit of, of how I feel like it happens for me and then I would love to hear how it happens for you too. Sure. Um, I feel like often there are kind of different entry points where you come into a song or where I come into a song at least like sometimes it starts with a title that I think is just like really interesting and uh, I want to like elaborate on it sometimes it starts with uh, a riff or like a collection of riffs mm -hmm. sometimes there's like an entire phrase that really sound it kind of like fits a melody in an appealing way and you want to uh -huh. figure out where that goes 
Um, and then I think from there, there are like a couple of different paths that it follows. Sometimes the whole thing just like comes out in one like word vomit, essentially, where it's uh-huh. like, it feels like the song existed already on some sort of platonic level and just sort of like came into your head and then you put it down on the page. The words and melody or just words or? Yeah, sometimes it's words and melody, sometimes just melody, but it feels coherent in like yeah. a kind of mystical way. I think that is maybe like 5% of the songwriting that happens for me. And the other 95% is having an idea, really liking it, and then feeling kind of stuck and not knowing like what comes next. And then there's like a waiting period. And then you start to collect other little pieces of just things like phrases or riffs. Um, And then I'll kind of like have a collection of these and I'll start to notice that some of them have like a a melodic or maybe like a mood or a texture that uh, fits with other pieces. And then it's um, like a a puzzle. It's like a combinatorics exercise, essentially. You're like putting all these pieces together and finding out like what did these want to be and how can they fit together in in an engaging kind of way. And I really would prefer if that first way was how all songs were written. I think that's how people's perception of songwriting is, is that it just comes out of you. But for me, it's mostly the second way, which is just like extremely painful, but then is also just the reality of how my brain works. So I don't know, does that resonate with you? Like, how does the song come together for you? Well, I mean, first of all, that's, I've asked a lot of people who've been on the show, you know, this this type of question and, and many people, it sounds like approach songs that way. It's sometimes something will be more fully formed, but a lot of times it starts with a, a seed and something kind of grows out of that. I mean, it's interesting to hear you talk about how you'll get, I'm, I'm hearing you say that you'll get like sections of the song and it's sort of figuring out how do they flow together and how do they create a whole from those parts. Um, but it feels like a lot of people approach it and I would say that um, it's, Yeah, I mean, I think that I start with uh, usually an idea, and I think that I will sort of play on it, and I'll be recording the whole time, and maybe I'll go back and listen, and then I'll cut out something that I liked in the recording and put it together and then play on those ideas, and then kind of, you know, if you see my logic file, it's like a huge, long strip of just... Uh, lots and lots of time just kind of working something through and then reaching reaching where it goes. Um, you're recording while you're writing at the same time. No, I'm not record. I mean, I'm recording just the ideas so I can go back and listen to them. Okay, I see. Because I'll off, often like take it to bed and just sit in the dark and kind of listen to like that part there and mark it. And- yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I feel like it reminds me. So have you read David Byrne's book about how music works? Yeah, it's right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such a good book. I feel like I was uh, found it really profound when he talks about the experience of like recording in a studio with Brian Eno for the first time and mm-hmm. realizing that like the studio was a compositional tool in yeah. itself, that they were like having ideas that they wouldn't have had if they weren't recording. And so I definitely feel that with you. I feel like the process of putting it to tape lets you kind of separate yourself. You kind of alienate yourself from it a little bit and then you can yeah. hear parts of it that you weren't hearing before and, and you can kind of think of where that wants to go, maybe like separate from where you were earlier. You know, I will say, I mean, I have two types of songwriting, I would say, and one is like the me and a guitar folk style, but then the other is this more experimental, I, I think of it as a collage and I'll take samples of things maybe that I've created or a friend has created and that is very much a, using the studio, using sounds, and trying to put them together. And it's it's less about um, telling a story of melody and more about experimenting with just different sounds and the way things can fit together, but also trying to keep in mind some kind of flow. Yeah, I, hear, I mean, I, I feel like I hear that difference between like your Big Forever record, yeah. the latest I See Among the Stars record where yeah, it's like full band on Big Forever. It's very psychedelic. You can kind yeah. of hear the interplay between the musicians. And then the latest record is like a very, it feels to me very carefully constructed in a way that it's like fully emerging from from your brain. I would say that that's, well, yeah, the instrumentation was definitely Josh and I. Um, but uh, but yeah, the songs themselves, I would say that's true. Yeah. 
And I mean, that in there, there's also kind of, I think what I haven't acknowledged yet is the importance of the collaborative process too for writing. Like yeah. I think very rarely is a song one person. I think I had entered into this most recent album, kind of the writing and recording process, really wanting it to be a collaborative process. I started uh-huh. that winter 2019 to 2020. And then as I was starting to put demos to tape to share, um, COVID hit and suddenly like the possibility of collaborating just didn't exist in the same way that I wanted it to. Like I wanted to be in a room with people and, and really be hearing what they thought. And so what I wanted to be like a collaborative record really became an intensely isolated record, like yeah. a record that's just entirely about ideas that that I had, um, which I try not to be disappointed with it because I think like that's a different artistic expression. Um, it's like interesting to see where that went. But at the same time, there's such a different energy between uh, an album that is crafted as a collaboration with other people. Even if you have written the songs, just like when you're having other people write parts, they suggest things that you never would have thought of that are so totally. much magical to you because they don't come from your head. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so when you're thinking about collaborating, are you thinking, oh, I'd like someone to, I can't think of lyrics for this spot. You know, maybe they'll add some lyrics here. Maybe they'll add a little melody line. Or are you more thinking about how they're filling out the instrumentation, but you're bringing the skeleton? I really wish. I mean, I think that is a type of writing that I have found really romantic and that I've also like never been in a place where I feel comfortable being vulnerable enough to do it. But it's like, so I have, I like grew up on very basic music, but I think like Lennon and McCartney was a a huge touchstone for me Uh growing up. And I think that idea of like bringing a half finished song to someone, Uh they provide like an idea that's just totally new and different, like add a bridge on that you wouldn't have thought of. Um, to me is kind of like the the source of the magic in their work and the reason why I don't really like their solo work very much. But I've just never been able to like cool. get vulnerable enough to get there. Um, I think, I, I don't know, I think it's something that I need to get over in myself. And I'm curious if, if you've experienced that type of songwriting and, and how you've gotten to that place. I think that I've been, I was probably very overprotective of some ideas at first but as I realized when I open up things are so much better because I like people add amazing ideas and um you know it's I've been looser with that as time goes on probably with my like folk songs it's more like here's the thing and let's figure out the instrumentation together um it's more confessional maybe and personal so I also this thing I wrote last year that I'm working on was again I was at home just like you uh, so it was very all by myself, but, um, but yeah, with full band stuff, that's been, that's been great to hear people's ideas. And then you get to know people and you trust them a little bit more and everybody kind of understands what everyone's trying to do. So kind of getting those relationships, I think helps too, to trust that the ideas are going to come together. And totally. Yeah. It's like an allegory for social life in general. You know, I think it's it's very appealing. As a somewhat introverted person, it's very appealing to believe that protecting your own, like, vulnerability is in some way, like, a noble thing. But then almost always in the world, it's, like, better to be vulnerable and, and open yourself up to being hurt and, and trade that off for, like, the kind of deeper connection with other people. But it's just so hard to get to let go of that, basically. Well, I can see that being a cool project, like, doing an EP with one person that you trust and like you're going to switch back and forth like two times or something like that and then that's yeah. the album you know it's going to be kind of a fun thing to experiment with totally like maybe bring kind of intentionally half finished work together yeah. and then kind of like see what can you create from that half finished work it makes me think of a few years ago there's a few chicago bands that rearranged themselves and all the members kind of threw their hats and threw their names in a hat and they all started like for a month a band with whoever they drew out of the hat and came up with these new, I don't know, it was, it was a really cool idea. And um, Yeah, that's amazing. There was a very similar running show in Philly that was happening for many years. I don't know if it's still going and I can't remember the name, but the pitch was very similar. It was like, this is going to be a show of, it's the first show for a bunch of bands and every band has to be started by people who are essentially like entering into a random band for this show. And then they're going to come together and they're going to write something and they're going to perform it. Um, And I think like that, again, kind of the combinatorics exercise and like leaning into the randomness, I think 
feels really appealing to me. I'm really interested in where that goes. And then I also find myself like so resistant to it emotionally where I'm like, oh, I can't do that. Like I have to have full control over this little thing. Yeah, I would hate that. <laughs> I would I would maybe be open to it, but it would be really hard. <laughs> that face a creative like struggle with someone else who has, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think it's good to do that. I mean, stretch yeah. you. For sure, but yeah, it does sound a little bit stressful. Um, There's also like another aspect of it, I think that's, again, coming back to management. I think like the lines of authority and ownership in a group um, are sometimes, they're almost always implicit um, and sometimes can become toxic by how implicit they are, where sometimes like a group just has a hierarchical structure yeah. Um, but nobody wants to like acknowledge that the group has a hierarchical structure and it would probably be better for everyone to just acknowledge that like one person is essentially the, the um, like authoritarian leader of this group. Yeah. But instead we're kind of invested in a facade of like democratic ownership uh, of, of the group. So I think managing those types of relationships between members and like deciding how is creative control going to happen in this group can also be really hard. That's a big, you know, this is like a little bit of a plug here, but that's a big um, part of what I want to explore. And the group therapy, I'm doing music therapy, group therapy sessions with full bands, because I think that, you know, I mean, bands infighting and creative control is like a tale as old as time. And just uh, thinking about how people, you know, bands can create amazing things, but they also have the biggest blowouts and a lot of times it does seem like it's, you know, maybe not being clear on communicating or expectations or or just people have good ideas and they're fighting for them. But, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it is a very uh, natural thing for humans to, when you get in a group, to sort yourself into roles. Yeah. It's uh, such a good insight. I think most bands, like most marriages, don't last, you know, but I think... Nobody, it's, it's very rare to acknowledge that. It's, like, <laughs> it's rare to do the type of communicative work that people often do in marriages when they acknowledge that this is actually really hard to sustain over a long period of time and we need to like actually work at, at, at making it work, basically. So group therapy for bands is, is such a great idea and I think it's a great <laughs> podcast. Also, drama. Everybody loves band drama. And I think totally, yeah. <laughs> you can access that. Yeah, um, I'm hoping some chairs get thrown not really but, uh, so okay so how has it been for you with you know you said that you have gathered you know group mus musicians to support your new album and how has that been for you guys working together I think it's been amazing from my perspective um I think I've been very intentional about it this time in a way that well I think I have been in the past too but this time you know I just went seven six or seven years where I didn't release any music. I didn't do any music stuff. I really didn't understand what I wanted out of music anymore. And I think coming back into it, I realized that the thing I want is kind of the relationships with the people that I'm making it with and, and uh -huh. sharing it with. Um, so I think for this group, I really wanted to like put those relationships at the forefront. Mm -hmm. um, so like asked people to be in the band who I was already really good friends with it was essentially like, who do I want to hang out with more yeah. who I don't get to hang out with enough? Um, and I think I really lucked out that all of them are just incredible musicians and are like really inspiring to me in the, in the work that they're able to do. So I'm very pleasantly surprised with like how good it sounds to me. But at the same time, I feel like we're sticking true to what I wanted to do, which is like, this is always, this is like first and foremost, a fun thing for us to do together. Uh -huh any sense of like the business or promotional uh, side of what we're doing is like entirely separate from that. And if it doesn't sound great, but we're having a really good time, um, that is like the most important thing. Well, good. That, I mean, that, that sounds great. You're going to be spending a lot of time with them, you know, if you're going to be playing shows. So True. Uh, let me, I'm looking at, you sent this really great kind of bullet point list of songwriting things to yeah, I've got my notes here, too, if you want me to jump into those. Yeah, we're, we're go ahead. What's, what, what should, we, <laughs> should we dive into one? Which one should we dive into? Yeah, totally. Well, um, actually, I think I'm probably looking at a, a separate list from you. But um, I think one, of, one big question I, I have 
for you is, um, I'm curious how you define like done when you're working on a song. I think songs like all art can kind of go on forever. You can tweak them for ages. I think Leonard Cohen worked on the lyrics for Hallelujah for months before he decided on the set that he thought was the best. Um, So I like, where do you know when you're ready to put something down? I think that the way that I've sort of solved that, because that was really difficult, especially at first when the gap between what I wanted to do and what I could do was huge. So it was very frustrating and it was hard to call things done. But I think the thing that has been put into place is I, I have deadlines. So, you know, I this past year I was part of a, a still am part of a songwriting club and we would meet once a month or so. And that was this amazing deadline where I knew five buds were going to listen to my song and give me feedback on it. But I wanted it to be done and they were people I respected. So it pushed me to, you know, I want to impress them or whatever. It pushed me to take it seriously. And so I think there's something about the deadline that uh, forces me to get to a point where I think is complete if I didn't have the deadline. But as far as when I arrive at, okay, I think this is complete and ready to present, I think I just have to feel kind of pleased with it, I guess. I mean, when I listen back, there'll be, generally there's parts that I'm, you know, I I feel pleased with it overall. And then I have to reconcile that with, if it's not 100%, well, there's a deadline. And it was kind of like over time, I had to think, what's a reasonable amount of time to devote to a song that you're working on in your life? And thinking about well, I'm going to try to write other songs. So at some point you have to let it go and it may not be totally great. That being said, I have songs that I've had for years and I'll be thinking about the lyrics and I'll have a new, you know, that's the word that should go there moment at times. Absolutely. And that's the hardest. I think lyrics for me are the hardest to know when it's done because I think you're right. Like hearing you talk about it, I agree that in terms of structure and melody, there's like a certain intuitiveness to it to me. Like, I know in my gut what feels like a complete song, but lyrics, I think, can just, they can always be better. And there's there's always a part in the song that is just so much cleverer than the rest of the song. And I think mm. I can spend months trying to make the entire song as clever as that one moment. But I think you're right that you have to acknowledge that this is not going to be the best song you've ever written. Hopefully not. You want to write better things in the future. You need to put it down at some point. And things like deadlines, different forcing functions like that, I think can be super helpful for making you do that. Yeah, I'm thinking about lyrics. I feel like, I feel like some lyrics... There's been some times where I've thought about them too hard and they feel forced. I don't want to be like too loosey-goosey with them because that's just... I don't know. I want to put some thought into them, but there's definitely overworking things too. Yeah, I think that's so true. You can especially hear it when you listen back to old work, I feel like. And that's when you hear like, oh, I was trying to be way too clever with that line. Like, it's You just say clever. So when you're, you've used the word clever. That, that makes me think there's like, you know, some wit going on. Yes, I think there is. So maybe I'm jumping the gun here. I really want to listen to I See You Among the Stars and and kind of talk about it in detail.
to me is such a great uh, example of lyrical cleverness, where just that opening line um, that starts with the do to do, I see you coming in my in my darkest hour humming. You realize like it starts with essentially placeholder lyrics, and then as the phrase moves out, you kind of weave that back into a narrative that you're telling about a moment that's happening. And that's how what I think of as lyrical cleverness, where I'm like, that could have just been a do to do like thousands of songs have been written with placeholder lyrics and, and people love them. But, but by weaving it in, I think you, you kind of like, for me at least, like my attention is really grabbed um, and I, I want to hear so much more about what's happening in that moment. Uh, I love hearing how you take that. <laughs> That's awesome. is, that, is that what you intended with that line? Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. I think that that song was one that more, the lyrics very much were just sort of there. Uh, it was one of those kind of luckier moments. Um, the Doot to Doot was, I didn't think of it as a placeholder. I do think of it in part as an homage to, I was really, I still love her, but Jessica Pratt, um, her music, and she does that sometimes. And it was a little bit of a, touchstone to what I'd been listening to and uh, a couple moments in her songs where she does that. So it was a connection between that too. Sure. That makes sense. So it's maybe, it's kind of like a fortuitous thing that just sort of happens. It's like things converge. And then I don't know what, what, what I'm hearing when I hear that is I, I like hear the humming that comes later in the verse. And then I see that reflected earlier in the song and, and that kind of symmetry for me is like just really appealing and grabs my attention. That's great. I, uh, I, I love that. I, I, you know, it's so hearing interpretations of lyrics, anybody, you know, bands that I've liked and how I interpret them. I mean, I almost, I will say the one thing that I like with lyrics is sometimes purposefully leaving them somewhat ambiguous because I do want to invite a listener to project their own meaning onto it a little bit. I think that that's, um, you know, can be really powerful for someone to fill in their own, own blanks of what that means. So there's, there's some intention behind some of that. Yeah, I think that's so true. And really that's kind of what you're after is like the emotional connection with the listener. And I think you're right that that can be so much so much more powerful when you give space to the listener to like project what they're feeling into the song. And I think ultimately that's maybe where the cringe factor comes in when you're listening to old, or at least when I'm listening to old work where I was trying to be really clever and I just don't resonate with it anymore because the cleverness is like in some ways a lack of, of that space that you're trying to give to the listener. Like I'm really projecting a lot as an artist and, and trying to kind of show you this wit and really make you like see the thing I'm seeing. And it's just, it can be harder. If, you, if you're not in that exact emotional space to receive that, I think it's, it's so much more jarring. Do you think that it's over-intellectualized? Oh yeah, I mean, I over-intellectualize everything I do. <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, I think I'm also like, I'm really, the intellectual really appeals to me. Um, so it's, it's what I want to achieve too. I, I think being, a little bit too intellectual, I think it can be really good, but it's such a fine line to straddle. Yeah, no, I think that that's, you know, if that's an honest place to come from. Um, to me, it's, it's all about as you get, as you grow as a, any kind of artist, I think it's all about how, in, how intentional is every choice that you're making. And even if you've decided not to make a choice, was that intentional? And I, I feel like, if you work at it long enough, you get more control. Sure. Do you feel, doing those moments. Do you feel like you're more intentional with your writing now than you were when you were younger? Yeah, definitely. Where, where does that intentionality come in in the process? Um, what do you mean by that? Is it the lyrics? Is it, you know, is it thinking about the theme that you're trying to address with this song? Is it like editing? Is it, is it when you're thinking about, does this all come together into something or do I want to leave this for another time when I can come back to it? I think there's just so many places where you can be intentional or at the same time you can kind of let something happen. 
Yeah, no, I think it's something that I'm certainly still working at, but I, I do feel like being able to hold all of the the capacity to hold all of the pieces of the album. So there's themes to the album I want to nod to, and I want this mood to start the album, and then it goes to there, and then it flows this way, and I want the listener to experience this moment of tension, you know, it's just like all these things. I think I'm more aware of and able to hold, you know, and be aware of while I'm working on something rather than just like, Oh, this melody sounds great. And I'll listen to it 30 times and get super excited about it. And which, which was, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's probably, again, I do not feel I've mastered this by any means, but I feel like your capacity to do that grows with every, song you write and every piece of art that you make and it's just about yeah. doing it more it's really true i mean at the same time like hearing you describe what it's like to just turn your brain off and listen to something you wrote and be like yeah this rocks <laughs> i think I, I also think about how the more intentionality that i have in a piece of work i think sometimes the lesser is my capacity to actually enjoy it for what it is because I'm just so, I'm, I'm so deep in what I'm trying to do. I can see all the pieces that I've tried to set up. And in a lot of ways I can see how I'm kind of failing to hit those marks that I want to hit. Whereas like I think about how, so recently my partner discovered an old song that I had written for her like eight years ago at this point and recorded for a mixtape as a one-off and, and sent to her. And I had no memory of this song at all. Mm -hmm. At first, I actually didn't believe that it existed. I was like, maybe you just invented this song that you thought was from me. Um, but she found it and then I listened to it and the experience of listening to it was so strange and kind of joyful. It was like, it was like hearing my own music with someone else's ears. Uh -huh. because I had none of the context for what I was trying to do with the song. I didn't know where it was going to go. Yeah. I didn't know what the themes were. And I could kind of just like sit back and, and hear it and experience it. And then in some ways, like come up with my own interpretation of maybe what I was trying to do at the time. So there's a way I think in which I've kind of, and maybe it just comes, maybe it's just a natural part of creating a new thing. But um, I feel like over time, as I've become more intentional, I also have fewer of those experiences of just like really vibing with the thing that I made. That's interesting. I, I don't know. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a trade-off. Um, I'm curious if you feel the same way too. I think by no means is that a universal experience. Probably people make music because they like the way that it sounds and they're really vibing off of the, off of the music they make. But for me, at least, I think it, it feels like I'm hitting more of what I want to do. Like I want to do very specific things with the album that I'm creating. Maybe yeah. they're not perfect, but I think I have more control over those things. Um, and just like my own personal, like how proud I am of it is less important now than it was seven years ago, basically. So the trade-off feels appropriate. I, f I actually have a hard time, even though I, I don't say this to be um, disparaging or dismissive of the great you know work that David Trano and, and Josh did on Ice, Ice You Among the Stars, but actually... I don't know. I listen back and I'm like, I don't know if I got that right. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I think that's know. a classic experience. Every great singer hates the sound of their voice, you know. It's not even that. It's, you know, it's the sound. or And then I don't know. It's like, are you just too close to it? Or maybe it's yeah. just not what you picture. I don't know. You got to revisit it in 15 years and you're going to be like, this is awesome. What was I <laughs> talking about? <laughs> this rips. <laughs> so when you listen to that song that you didn't remember, did you like it? I liked it. I'm going to put it on the next album. I feel like it was great and I should have done something with it. But I'm also glad I didn't too, because I think that I can present it now in a much more intentional way that I wouldn't. Yeah, have. sure. What do you, well, hold on. I'm looking back at your list. So um, one thing that I'm always curious about is how academically someone approaches that, I mean, that's my word for it, but, you know, are you thinking of chord progressions and, you know, I know Paul Simon was like, I, I needed a G6 here because I wanted to convey this tone. And he was thinking about it in a very, like, I know what that sounds like and I know where it should go and really has mind wrapped around that. I don't write that way at all, but I'm curious, do you think of chord progressions? My husband, I think, is uh, really good at that. Um, do you think of things in terms of, like, 
is it more of an intuitive writing, I guess, or is it more chord progression ideas of what works or how does it? I do. I think academic is a good word for it. You know, I think there is like an academic study of music theory. Um, I think I have really benefited from a lot of that in the past. I've been able to take music theory classes and I think it has had a huge influence on the way that I write. I mean, partly because I'm very analytical and I kind of over-intellectualize everything, but I have found that kind of having the structure of theory gives me in some ways kind of like a default to fall back on because I feel like personally, I have very few good ideas, like ideas that I just really solidly stand behind. Often a song will be different pieces of things that I really liked and I I don't really know why I liked them and I want them to come together, but I don't know if that's going to happen. And for me, like theory is kind of uh, a structure underneath that that gives you good defaults that you can reach to to help sew together different pieces of a song. So I'll often fall back. And I think, you know, it reminds me of how I think... In people who improvise talk about improvisation. Um, so one of my favorite books is this book called The Chairs Are Where the People Go by Misha Gluberman, which is like kind of all about community and, and improvisation. He teaches like improv classes, um, for lack of a better word, they're like very strange types of more performance art improv. Um, yeah. But for him, he says like in, improvisation, the the way that the public thinks about it is that you're just making up everything as you go along. But the way that improviser acts actually do it is you have a structure underlying what you're going to do, and then you play off of that. But you always have kind of that safety net that you're coming back to. And I feel like for me, like theory is that type of structure for songwriting in the same way that, you know, a, a plot line for a sketch might be for an improviser, where when I don't have an idea that I think is good, I can reach to theory and I can say, you know, I think the five is going to be a good way to modulate this key and then I can move into this other section that I want to move into. Okay. So you, you know, you had mentioned a song that's on your new album, A Man in a Dress. Was there, do you uh, remember, was, was there any of that kind of stitching together and and falling back to you know theory totally absolutely yeah and i also chose this one because i feel like a lot of the choices that i made in that song to help stitch together different parts i see similar choices in i see you among the stars too as ways of stitching together pieces that are in different keys um so there is definitely like you know there's a distinct verse section in that Uh song that's uh, in a minor key, then there's a distinct chorus section that's in some other key. I actually don't really even understand because my music theory knowledge is very like beginner intermediate. I don't really even know what's going on there, but I know that it's sort of centering around a B major chord, whereas the first section was centering around a minor. And I kind of need to get between those two sections. And that happens through the E major chord, which is the five for A minor and the four for B major, something like that. It's okay. one of those two, and I, I don't really know which one it is, but that kind of serves as as the bridge for jumping between both of those sections. And then I think also um, the like half-step move from an F-sharp to an E major uh, is a very weird chord progression, but can be very spooky, uh, serves as a way to kind of introduce that jumping off point into a new section. So I feel like that happens in both Man in a Dress. It also happens in I See You Among the Stars, where you're going from this E major uh, verse section into an A minor. Is it, it might be B minor uh, chorus section. It's it's the minor or what I think of as the chorus section. And you have to kind of bridge those in, in an interesting way. And you do that through like an unusual chord choice that winds up being the, the five for the new key. In the shower I feel so
That's great. It's beautiful and all the twists and turns are just lovely surprises in there and it's very interesting. So many twists and turns. So I feel like I feel like what I'm talking about, I'm talking about like that E chord that serves as the jumping off point. So for the verse like we're in that A minor and then towards the end of it switching off between uh, C and an F, like the But then we want to get from that place to the chorus, which is the B, where we're going, is there such thing as a man in a dress? And so it, it happens around that that E chord, which goes from, you know, it can go from the F to the E, and that's kind of weird, but then that goes into the B and feels like kind of natural in a way. Yeah. And at the end of the chorus, that happens again, where we move from the G to the F to the E. And then that brings us back to the A minor at the end too. Yeah. So it's kind of those like pivot points, knowing that the five here is going to be a way that we can kind of transition between different keys that, that lets you sew together those two different pieces of the song and, and can kind of help like artificially in some ways construct or put the puzzle pieces together when you're writing. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it, it's great. It works. It feels emotional. Um, yeah, I love it. I think it's a really beautiful song. Thank you. It's it's a very uh, explicitly Jessica Risker inspired song too. That's amazing. <laughs> so that's great so to that I got it with you. Oh, we have a few more minutes. I want to make sure at the very end that we come back and talk about you know your album a little bit more and your show coming up. But let's see. Is there anything else that we should talk about? I'm looking at this list here. With, yeah. With songwriting. Um, oh, you know, one, we're talking about chord progressions, but what about song structures? Yeah. How do you... Yeah, I feel like I sometimes lean too much on structure. Um, I think, like, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus is, like, such an easy thing to fall back on. It just always sounds good. Yeah. But I think particularly on the most recent album like a lot of the songs have that structure. And it was a great way to help me kind of get through the writing process and get mm -hmm. it on paper. But then when I listen back to like the 2014 EP, where I think I was in a much more like emotionally unstable place in a lot of ways, I was writing songs that didn't have such a rigid structure. Mm -hmm. um, some songs were kind of like one phrase repeated over and over and then elaborated on. I think there's just Again, it's, maybe it's the same thing as like the cleverness, the over-intellectualizing, but there's, a, there's something that just doesn't feel as emotionally resonant about it. So that's kind of the, the uh, ambiguous feelings that I have about structure. And I wonder like, how much does structure play into the, the way that you think about your own songs? Well, what about your feelings are ambiguous? Um, about the, the more recent work that's very structured? Yeah, I don't think I actually caught like, what the ambiguity was. So yeah. I prefer that. 
it's, I don't know. It feels I listen to it and I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen. I There's know. a predictability to it. There's a predictability to it. Yeah. I, I imagine listening to someone else's album like this and, and recognizing that the structure is the same for every single song and, and maybe being a little bit bored by it. So it loses some amount of that magic and, and unpredictability. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, I was reading some New York Times, actually, I need to go back to it, but it was basically talking about how song structures have looked for a while now, but now with TikTok, where people are like looking for these like 15 minute or second, you know, this really great moment in a song that it's actually shaping the way people are structuring their songs so that, you know, you can provide this <laughs> TikTok moment in your, you know, you get the drop or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that just made me feel like, oh man, I'm... I need to catch up, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think for a while I really fought traditional song structures. Um, it seemed like it was really interesting to try to work around them. It it seems to me like it's kind of the, you have to know the rules in order to break them kind of idea. Um, yeah, and then also just, you know, this goes back to the intention thing. I mean, if you're kind of doing a one, one word, one note thing that lasts 10 minutes, what are you trying to convey with that experiment? You know, is it kind of experimental or what are you trying to make the listener feel? Are you being intentional about that? I unapologetically love a nice melt. I don't, I don't want it to be too sugar sweet or too repetitive so that it gets stuck in your head, but I love a nice melody that sounds good and is catchy. You know, that's... yeah. So I feel like when I'm trying to work within a song structure, you know, that's often it'll lend, it lend itself, the song structure will lend itself to that kind of writing, I guess. Totally. I think I'm also obsessed with catchiness. And so it's like the rules are there for a reason. They, they help you, they push you towards that kind of catchiness that you're after. And when you think about what catchiness means too, I think in a lot of cases, it is like um, measured familiarity or like managed familiarity that a catchy song, a catchy chord progression will often give you something that you know a little bit already and feel comfortable with and then sort of tweak it a little bit so that yeah. you, that like sense of excitement that comes with novelty, but you can kind of feel safe in something that you know already. Um, so I think that that's another reason why I lean on traditional structures too, because I think verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus has like, that is in some ways the ideal structure for managing the unfamiliarity that people have with a song. Um, and it's just like, it's hard to beat that. But then sometimes you really strike gold when you find, I think, a structure that can manage that familiarity in a totally unexpected way. And, and you can kind of like break parallel from these, you know, tried and true structures that we have. Uh, so I'm always chasing that, but I think it's really hard to find. Well, it's also a very natural flow of the life of something. There's this entry and there's a build and a climax. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's it just kind of follows an arc that I think is very natural and it works. Right. Um, I always liked Beck as my favorite artist, and I always thought he was really great at twisting. You know, taking a chord that you thought would be there and he twists it or he goes a little different direction with it or something like that. It was just yeah. so... And I was recently on a, a car trip and was listening to The Shins, which I love and had listened to for a while. And he is amazing. It. Do you ever listen to The Shins? Yeah, absolutely masterful songwriting. Yeah, the, just taking melodies in different directions and playing with the structure. But it always it's always catchy. Once you learn the song, it's so great to sing with. And yeah, um, I think totally. it's amazing. And that's the experience that you want your listeners to have. You know, you want them to be psyched by the song, it should be really catchy. And then you also want them to feel like there's just something there that they don't fully understand and they need to, to keep coming back to it. Well, yeah, that's another point of intentionality is how accessible immediately do you want it to be? Do you yeah. want people to immediately be like, mm, mm, Bob, that's a catchy song, you know, whatever. <laughs> but Or are you expecting them to listen to it seven times before they start to appreciate the twists and turns and just thinking about, thinking about their experience? You know, yeah. what are you trying... Not that it's all about, not that it's all about them, but it's sort of about them, um, yeah. the listening experience. Anyway, it's, go ahead. No, it's a great question. I respect both approaches. I think I've always been very obsessed with the first approach. I think just like 
I have to be true to myself that I care so much more about about pop. Um, so I, I think I'm, I, I really appreciate people who can write for that second mode uh, in a way where you need to listen to it many times to really appreciate what's going on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people have a lot going on in their lives. Um, right. I think it's a lot to ask of someone to listen to a song once, let alone seven times. So I really want to get them at the start. And, you know, you mentioning TikTok, I think, is is an excellent, excellent point. So, like, for this record, I've been trying to release... For each song, I've invited a friend to do like an Instagram reel video for it, just like a 30-second video for one clip of the song. Very intentionally with the thought of like, I think most people I know won't listen to this album all the way through. That's completely fine. I think it's like a lot to ask of your friends to spend 45 minutes with something that you've made. And so I want to like really craft this experience for someone who only has like four or five minutes uh-huh. to put into the music. But at the same time, then you do that and you come to realize like how challenging that is and how mm-hmm. much artistry goes into crafting songs that fit for TikTok. Like songs that work really well on TikTok, often it's actually five or six seconds is like yeah. a really engaging part. And like I making the videos, I realized all of my songs have these like 30 second choruses with phrases that go up and down and it takes like the entire 30 seconds to understand what's going on. And like, I find that really engaging, but when you have five or six seconds, which the lesson of Vine was, that's basically everyone's attention span. Like you really (laughs) need to compress it down a lot more than that. So it's challenging. It's challenging to like work with the actual attention spans people have and and make something that's going to be meaningful to them within those constraints. And fascinating how it's going to shape, how it's shaping songwriting. Yeah. Totally. I think there's some amazing stuff that is going on. As you were saying, there's already you can listen to songs that were written for TikTok and they sound completely different in this really exciting way. Yeah. Well, before we have to uh, sign off, can you share, please, again, um, your new album and your release show information? Yes. So the album is A Layer of Topsoil. Um, The band is Hard Femme. And we're going to have a release show for free in Ping Tom Park on Sunday, August 1st at 3 p.m. I'm very excited. We're going to have uh, Anna from the band Esther is going to play solo uh, and Ira Ola is going to play as well before us. So I'm really excited to see them play. Um, it also seems like it's the Chinatown Summer Festival that same day, which I just oh. say. Uh, so I'm really excited for that. I think it's going to be a great time in one of my favorite parks and would definitely encourage anyone who has a free afternoon to stop by. It's also Lollapalooza, so if you're trying to avoid Lollapalooza, this is There you go. You want some music, but you don't want Lollapalooza? <laughs> yeah. That's that, sounds, that sounds great. Um, well, thank you so much. This was really uh, a really great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And um, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a dream. Thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear your work that's coming up next to you after this conversation. And just your songwriting means so much to me. And it's such a, a great experience to hear more about it. That was a really great conversation about songwriting. I love hearing how other people think about it and approach it. And it definitely affirms to me that there is no right way to do it. It's just whatever way makes the most sense for you. Um, I hope you guys are all doing well out there. Please subscribe. Leave us a review and visit musictherapypodcast.com. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis, and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Hope you guys are doing well, and see you next week.